Hello and welcome to another episode of the Uncommon Energy Podcast. Plenty for us to talk about on this week's episode. We're going to kick off the episode by talking about the world's qualification information, which was released at the end of last week. Pokemon has finally said how many championship points are needed to get to the world championships in Yokohama, Japan, and what players' paths may look like in order to get there. How do you earn these points? We'll talk about all of that. There were three major tournaments in the Astro Radiance slash Pokemon Go format this weekend. The Baltimore Regional Championships, uh, Porto Alegre, and Bilbao all taking place. We'll be talking about those results. What decks won? What were some unique things? And kind of putting a little bit of a bookmark on this format. Then we'll, of course, have Guess That Flavor Text. It is my turn to pick a card for Azul. We'll see if I can stump him. And then we've got some issues to talk about with the Baltimore Regional Championships. Lots of drama, lots of things happening this week. Coming off of a top 16 finish, though, I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Azul GG. My name is Trainer Chip Ritchie. Azul, top 16 with the Mewtwo V Union this weekend. How you feeling, man? How you doing? Yeah, doing pretty good. Uh, I guess one more thing that I'll mention that we won't be talking about is there was some tournaments in the lost origins format this yes. weekend but we're going to save those it's lost next origin week. azul don't forget lost, lost origin, origin <laughs> lost origin format but we're talking about those next week yeah also with like a preview of uh peoria regionals with the, the whole lost origin format thing happening in peoria in two weekends so um yes we know they happened we're not gonna talk about them this week we'll talk about them next week but yeah i was competing at baltimore regionals ended up top 16 did play them v union i did get on stream for a pretty crazy match up against an arceus duraladon uh <laughs> Where I threw initially, I could have just like, so I was like in my head, I knew they played the ordinary rod because I saw it in the okay. mulligan. So that was, I was definitely like, the saw, big deal right there in that, yeah, in that matchup. To know, right? Yeah, and it, it's a bigger deal as well because you also don't know if they play training court or not until you sure. see the ordinary rod. And that usually means they don't play training court. Um, but early on in the game, I got three fightings in the discard pile and they were like kind of sitting there draw passing to find the rod. And I was focused on just recovering crushing hammers. But I think I could have just KO'd the Arceus <laughs> right then and just KO'd it for 300 damage. I would have put myself in a spot where if they did play Training Court and decided to dig for it, because they definitely had a draw supporter in their hand, um, I would have just lost. Or if they top decked the Ordinary Rod and then played it and then played a Marnie out of hand, because I used Sydney like the turn prior, so I know they had a Marty in the hand, then I also would have lost. So I could have just gone that route. And then after that, I could have healed. And then if they still didn't have an attack off, then I could have just like two hit KO'd the Arceus after or the Duraludon after that. So. I could have won it a little bit sooner. Still got the win in the end, but it was a lot more intense and uh, nerve wracking for that. Uh, but yeah, ended up top 16. Um, not the placement I was really hoping for. I would have, I, I felt like I was in a really good spot to get top eight with how the meta for the tournament looked. It's kind of what we predicted. Um, and then also how I had a good start. I went seven, one, one in day one. Uh, my only loss was to Caleb playing the exact same 60. So he went in at eight Oh one into day two uh, uh, with me. And then I, I, my, I, I the only thing from there, the only the other deck I lost to was I lost to to Drew's Reggie. That's what put me out of top eight contention, and that was tough. He had text. He had all the text. He had Scrapper, Bad Drago, Bad Lucky, Two yeah. Path. Like yeah. you can't beat everything. Uh, you can barely even beat Path of the Peak with our build. So um, that was rough. That was rough. Lost to Drew. That put me out. And my other, and then I, besides those two losses, I had three or four ties, and they were all to Mew Mew players who won the first game. And when they get that early first win, like all you can hope for is really to tie at that point. So yeah. ended top sixteen. Uh, really happy with the deck choice. Really happy with the list. The path worked great. We all beat Empoleons, I think, throughout the day and all beat and tied a lot of Mews, which is the the bigger matchup for the card. We were like, all right, this is really good against Mew. Mew's going to be really popular. 
and we can beat Empoleon. So we all hit a couple Empoleons, I think. I hit one, but I think everyone else hit one or two. So it helped for that uh, as well. And I mean, yeah, overall, I'm I'm like, as long as I get like, feel like I got close to top eight, that's when I'm like, okay, this was like, I feel like I had I had put enough effort into the tournament and it's like a, an okay result. Like as long as I felt like I got close to top eight, I wasn't on my winning in or anything uh, at any point for top eight, but I felt like deck choice, uh, the list and like how I played throughout the tournament put me in a good spot if you get top eight. So definitely content with the top 16 uh, finish overall. But yeah, uh, we, how was casting ship? Casting was great. Yeah, that is right. I was a, a caster for the event. We didn't get to like talk about it much last week because it had not been officially announced by yep. Pokemon yet at that point. But yes, indeed, I was there. I was in Baltimore casting the tournament. It was an absolute blast. Thanks again, as always, to Pokemon for having me out. I love the opportunities to get to uh, to get to do that. And thank you so much to our listeners, to so many people who came up to me, and I'm sure the same is for you as yep. well, as who came up to me uh, and thanking me for the podcast and for the content we are creating. And so, yeah, we're really appreciative of that. I actually had well, something that was really cool for me was a guy came up to me and said that he started playing just a few months ago after finding the podcast. He found the podcast, didn't have any clue who you were, had no clue who I was, just found the podcast, got into Pokemon. He lived in Baltimore, and it was like, you know what? I'm going to the Baltimore Regional Championships. <laughs> I think that is pretty sweet. So shout-outs to JC. Thanks for coming up and saying what's up, man. I think, Azul, you said you spoke to him as well. Yeah, I met them as well. That was super cool, uh, super cool to see. Yeah, huge shout-out to everyone who came up to me um you know just said what's up signature um or you know just wanted to get uh say what's up and get one of the the few remaining dice that i had the uncommon energy dice unfortunately all out of dice now but we might look to do some more in the future um but yeah huge shout out to you guys for uh you know all the support in in tuning into the episodes but then you know showing the support at the events as well make sure to come up say what's up for for whatever reason you just want to say hi uh, a handshake, a picture, uh, a signature, whatever it is, be sure to come up and say what's up when you when you see me uh, or Chip at the event. We very much uh, enjoy uh, enjoy that. You're not bothering us. Um, we always have time for uh, for people who uh, enjoy the content we make here for sure. A hundred percent. Well, Azul, let's go ahead and hop into the meat of things this week. And there's definitely plenty to talk about. Uh, in addition to all the results, of course, we're going to start this week by talking about Pokemon finally releasing the information on how people need to qualify for the World Championships. Of course, this year's World Championships in 2023 are taking place in Yokohama, Japan, which I think has a ton of players extremely excited about until maybe they saw this qualification information because <laughs> I think people were hoping for a little bit of a mix-up. But it turns out that I think, I mean, at least for NA, it is the same. And I think it's pretty much the same for, for most other regions as far as how many points are required. So for anyone who doesn't know exactly how this works, um, Azul, do you want to fill people in on like the championship point process, how people earn points and how that adds up towards getting uh, their world's invite? Yeah, so there's a, there are a number of points you need to get for world's invite, and that varies between uh, your division and your region. So for North America, if you're a junior, you need 350 championship points. If you're a senior, you need 400. If you're a master, you need 500. But then if you go over to Europe for a junior, you only need 250 points. A senior only needs 250 as well. And the masters only need 350. So depending on your region, you will need more or less points. Um, and that's just kind of to do with how many events those those areas have, especially for like the major events. North America has the most by far major events 
in in the world um i think the only one that comes close is actually is, i think it's europe or latin america actually have more it's definitely europe though right has the more regionals i don't most know regionals. latin america has definitely started to have a lot more regionals and also whenever have, you yeah. get into the mix of like special events and stuff both of those regions have a decent amount of special events as well um yeah. so it's probably honestly pretty close but it makes sense because like i'd say they're both pretty similarly sized regions europe probably being a little bit bigger so it probably does still get the edge a little bit as far as how many events it gets um and when i say bigger i mean player base wise most of the yeah. time but um there is definitely i mean it, there has been a huge boom i've noticed over the last couple of years just in the the latin america region of more and more events and a ton of players they're getting a lot of players at these tournaments too yeah, and there's only been one Latin America regionals announced so far. They definitely have more, so we don't really yeah. quite know how many they're going to have. But yeah, that's how many points you need to qualify for the World Championships. And the way you get points is by placing in official sanctioned tournaments. Now, in the past, we've had League Cups and League Challenges, which are like local events. Um, smaller one being the League Challenges, where you get like 15 points for winning. And then League Cups, you get like uh, 50 points for winning. And then you go up to the Regional Championships, where you get 200 points for winning. And that's what was just happened this past weekend was the Baltimore Regional Championships. So... If you won a regional championship or a special event, special events also give away 200 points, but the prizing is not the same. There's The prizing for special events is basically just booster boxes. There's no cash prizing, uh, but you do get the same amount of points. And special events are basically to try and help areas or regions that just don't have as many uh, regional, because the, the regional tournaments are kind of supported through Pokemon. Like as far as we know, or as far as I know, like Pokemon sends or gives out the money to the winners of the, regionals and so on right or if you place that a regional you get the the money from pokemon but they only sponsor so many regionals uh so they give the opportunity for tos to run special events in some situations and, and that think, happens a lot in europe i think the most and i think special events as well will occur in places where there are weird like gambling slash gaming laws where if you put money on the line if people are paying money to try to win money that can be seen as gambling in some senses, uh, especially when it comes to like the randomness of a card game potentially. Um, yeah. So I think that has something to do with it as well. But yeah, pretty much just special events, regional, same thing as far as the championship points are concerned. And the points yeah. are the vital piece. That's what you need, you know, to get a bunch of, uh, to play in a bunch of tournaments, get your championship points and try to stack them up, accrue them until you hit whatever qualification number you need. Now, I would say, our most heavily serviced demographic from the podcast is definitely masters in the U S and Canada, though we yep. do have listeners worldwide. So many of our listeners, if you're wanting to qualify for worlds, you're going to need the 500 championship points, which is the same as it has been the last couple of years, I think at least in 2019 to the 2022 yeah. season, since everything got kind of weird, right? Um, we have 550 like before that there was yeah. one year where it was 550, right? There yeah. was, but I think that was the year it got dropped down. Okay. I so think it was 550, 550 right? in 2017. So there was a, so, and this is par part of what I wanted to talk about as well, uh, because people are very up, uh, worked up and upset about the fact that um, basically you have to get 500 points, which is the same as what we've had to get before, but there's no league cups and challenges for yeah. half the year. And it definitely is a big deal, and it makes it more difficult to get an invite. It was already pretty difficult to get 500 points in the U.S. and Canada. Like, getting a world's invite really in any region is not easy by by any means. Um, but I think just naturally uh, the area where you have to get the most points is going to make it a little bit more difficult. Uh, though the reason for that is we do have more events than any other yeah. 
place in the country, though they are spread out across our pretty large country uh, land size. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, people are, I think, maybe rightfully so upset that it is um, a little bit more difficult to qualify this year. But what I'll say to people is there is precedent for them changing this information partway through the season. So in 2017, they made the bar to qualify for Worlds pretty tough. Uh, it was 550 points for the North America region. I don't remember how much it was for the rest of the world. But basically, we got to like January slash February, and it became pretty evident that not a lot of people were going to qualify. Yeah. And so Pokemon retroactively dropped the CP bar and also boosted the CP that you had earned from events previously. So yeah. normally League Cups gave 50 points, and I'm pretty sure if I remember correctly that season, they bumped it to 55 points, so added five more points in there. Um, and they did the same thing like across the board. Regionals wins instead of 200, I think it was like 220 or something like that. Like They just yeah. bumped everything up 10% or so uh, to try to compensate for the fact that so few people had worlds invites. So to me, this means like in TPCI's head, they kind of have an idea of how many people ish they want to qualify for worlds from each region. And so there is precedent that if they feel like partway through the season, they're not at that mark, they could change it up. Right. Yeah. I feel like that's such a bad system. We should just know beforehand. And, and okay. And like, sure. Maybe if this was, but like, even in the argument that, um, you know, maybe they're doing a new system, so they want to try it out, and then that would cause that. That's what we had initially when they went to the 550, but we've had three years in a row now of the same system, right? Or three full seasons in a row of the same system, or roughly, maybe two and a half, I guess, because COVID kind of cut things short, right? Sure. So we had the 550 year, the 500 year, and then there was another 500 year that COVID cut short. But that should be enough data for them to just pick a number and sit with it. And... What I was going to say to that, maybe this is the number they want, though. Maybe they want it to be as hard as it will be at 500. Now, I'm a pretty big, um, I'm a pretty big fan of the idea of the regionals or the world's invite not being actually too hard to obtain because it really is. And you've mentioned this many times. It's the only thing to play for in Pokemon, really, on a competitive level. I think we're starting to see. I think GLC is actually a big reason of this. A more casual like reason to play the game i guess right like i feel like glc is doing a big thing with that which is really cool to see just more people wanting to play pokemon to kind of play pokemon um but at the end of the day even if you're not a truly like diehard competitor just competing on some level is nice and giving yourself the chance to get a world's invite even if you don't make it that year but you know giving like a little bit more reason to show up to the league cups and the league challenges or you know maybe go to that one extra regional um, and the events are so much more than just trying to compete for your world's invite you know you show up you have fun you play pokemon you play with your friends um so i feel like world's invites really shouldn't be too difficult to to get personally i know it is the world championship but pokemon is a hobby at the end of the day and it's a competitive hobby um so you want to make it you want you know you know someone who works a full-time job but who can make some time on the weekend to go to some events and maybe a couple of regionals to have a fighting chance to get their world's invite right i feel like that should be obtainable um to go along with that one thing i will say is i think they should increase the number of players who make it to day two through the day two invite system um, for those who don't know, uh, a certain number of players each year from each region make it to automatically the second day of the world's competition. That's top 16 from US and Canada, top 22 from Europe, top 12 now. I was going to, we should talk about this as well. Top yes. 12 now from Latin America was eight before from eight. Very to good four. For, for Latin America. Yeah. Very good. I think and they, definitely something that they needed. Yeah. I deserved. think they should have, I think they should just have 16. Sure. Um, Oceana. So 
Oceana was cut down from eight to four. Now, I think if you maybe like looked at the number, like you're going into Pokemon, and you're like, okay, here are the numbers for how many players play in these regions. Okay, this is how many this is how many day two invites each of these regions should get. That would be fine. I think cutting their invites back is just really stupid. Like, sure, maybe you don't, maybe you increase everyone else's day two invites, but you don't increase Oceana. I think that would be reasonable based on how many players are in the Oceana region. But I don't think they should have cut it back. Um, and then before you want to make your comments on it, the last thing I'll mention, they added two new day two invites to a new region, the Middle East slash, slash South Africa rating zone, which is super sick. Getting more regions involved with day two invites is super sick. I have no clue how many players are over in those regions, but seeing that means there's enough that they're giving them day two invites, which is super cool to see. Um, but I think there should be more, and I think them cutting back on Oceanas was a uh, was bad. Yeah, I do think there's been a couple of competitors from the Middle East and South Africa the last couple of World Championships. A very good thing for those players to see that they're getting recognized, getting a shot to uh, to have a chance to earn their day two invitation. Um, also worth noting as well, as far as day two invitations go, there are several regions that are excluded because the way their competitive season works is a little bit different than the rest of the world. So players in Japan, South Korea, and Asia Pacific will be awarded both Friday invitations and day two invitations as determined by each region's organized play system. So that is separate from play Pokemon, what we have here uh, in the Western part of the world. Players in the Russia rating zone are not eligible for day two invitations. Uh, I do believe we have had Russian competitors, though, the last few years. And then uh, maybe not this past season, though. I don't remember for sure. And then players in South Africa are not eligible for travel awards. So you can get a day two invitation, but you can't get a travel award, which is a little interesting. interesting. Um, but yeah, I will make a comment on the Oceania rating zone thing. So I think par probably where this is coming from is at the start of the 2019 to 2020 season, the Asia-Pacific countries were removed from the Oceania rating zone. Um, they're no longer part of the play Pokemon structure. Where they had been previously, those players were all included in just kind of that whole, yeah. um, you know, southeastern part of the world rating zone for world invite structures, right? Um, that, uh, a ton of players were removed from that, and they now have their own system in place. Asia Pacific will be awarded both Friday and Day 2 invitations as determined by each region's organized play system. They have their own organized play system, and they actually had their first regionals this weekend. Once again, we will be talking about that next okay. week's episode. Okay, but, I, actually, I actually didn't know that. Yeah, but Maybe I didn't know that because the Oceania Top 8 was just dominated by Australian players. Which... It, it usually was. There was always a handful of players from these other countries that were kind of in there and would travel to the other... Uh, yeah. would travel to Australia for their regionals and stuff like that. Um, so I maybe think that, that's that probably where that is coming from. And it, it does make me lean a little bit more towards it making sense. But at the same time, it, it does feel unfair to the players um, because I, Oceania is the smallest of the four major rating zones. Now, obviously, we have kind of this fifth one with the Middle yeah. East and South Africa being thrown in here, which would be a little bit smaller. Um, Oceania previously has always been the smallest just player base wise. But there are some excellent, excellent players in that region. I mean, we've seen it at the oh, yeah. international level. Um, you know, Kaiwen getting top eight at Worlds and then also getting ninth place at uh in AIC uh Natalie Miller has impacted the meta incredibly the last season so i mean these players really do play a big role and are some of the best players in the world 
so it makes me feel a little bummed that there will be less spots awarded and that d- just that alone makes me want there to be eight spots awarded uh, yeah. because traveling out of Australia to other parts <laughs> of the world to the internationals and then uh, maybe not as bad to Japan actually because it is probably the closest of all the regions to getting to Japan but um, they, they had definitely have the hardest time getting out of there so I mean outside of these top four players it makes me question how many world's players will actually see from Australia and New Zealand. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think like, and I think like, you don't even have to give like one of the things that is tied into generally getting these top spots at the end of the year by having just the most championship points. So that's what it, that's how you get the spots is like you are just the top sixteen players in North America or not North America, U.S. and Canada. Uh, it does not include Mexico. Yeah, um, Mexico is included with Latin America. Yeah, if you're the people with the the most championship points at the end of the year, you also get a travel award, right? Which is that's a pretty big deal. Um, but I would like, like personally, like if I could change this, I would like to see. I don't know how much you would do for Europe because it's so weird that they have twenty two to begin with. But if you could do like thirty two U.S. and Canada, thirty two to forty for Europe, sixteen for Latin America. Maybe Oceania does stay at four, but let's say they go to eight, and then you keep the two now for Middle East and South Africa, and just half of them get the travel award and the other half just get the day two invite. So if you took 32 from us and Canada, the top 16 get a travel award plus day two invite. And then the, the other 16 under that, they just get the day two invite. I just and that's feel kind like of what we saw this more... season, right? That's what they ended up doing this yeah, season. Yeah. Uh, because you know, it, we had, you know, kind of the mess of everything with COVID and like messing up the, we had the two weird half seasons kind of mashed together into the 2019 kind of through 2022 <laughs> season. Right. Like definitely a little bit of a mess. So they doubled they doubled the day two invites for this last Worlds in yeah. London because of the way everything was so weird. So they, we had we had actually that exact system. I completely like that just like went over my head right there to be honest. But yeah, I think that should I think there just should be more day two invites. I think there's enough players that want to compete from them, and it would give the opportunity for more players to have the chance to compete for the day two invite. Because I do feel like that the day two spots are pretty it's pretty just kind of top heavy with who actually even attempts to compete for the day two invites at sometimes at towards the end of the year um someone will go on a hot streak they already they already have their invite but they're gonna go to like one or two more regionals they'll show up for the like naic at the end of the year and if they do well at a couple of those things it's they can like all they'll win one of the last regionals and then like, yeah you know be like do okay well if NAIC. i make top eight in naic all of a sudden i'm in top 16 right yeah but they're kind of just like coming in at like you know 15th 16th you know they're never had like a chance to be yeah you know, for, like to be more comfortably in uh, in a day two invite position. So I would just like to see it. I think there's enough players and the, the game is getting big enough where the invite should be reasonable for someone who wants to treat po- the Pokemon TCG as a competitive hobby because that's what it is at the end of the day, right? A lot of people, I mean, need you. you, you Pokemon isn't a full-time job. So you need a full-time job. Masters, there's a thousand, we had a thousand players at this first regional of the season, right? Masters players by far dominate the game in terms of who's going to show up and play the game um so and a lot of them are you know in situations where they're like further along in life you know it's not like just like a thousand 15 year olds right like (laughs) there's like it's 18 to i don't know 30 30 30 plus is like a majority of the players there right probably mid-20s is the largest demographic like 22 to 27 is probably the largest demographic honestly full-time jobs going to college still in high school whatever no one can commit to um going to as much events so i think that uh, as many events as they would like so i think getting your world's invite shouldn't truly be that difficult obviously you should have to put in some time some effort and place decently at some events but it shouldn't be like a massive chore i don't feel like also you mentioned a, the a thousand hard person, grind the thousand people for this first regionals and let's not forget that it's sold out in 24 hours <laughs> as well right like yeah. uh the, they, did, they did give some they did open up some spots later on i believe 
I think so too. It did. Yes. It did continue to sell out, though. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. It, it, so it ended up being at kind of what their capacity was for for the event. But uh, and speaking of the regionals as well, something else they got announced alongside the World Championship qualification bar was finally just confirmation of the regionals structure, the the prize payout for championship points and for cash prizes. And it was what we were expecting, right? It is the same as it has been in the past, which makes it so much more frustrating that it wasn't just posted forever yeah. ago, right? But, you know. It took forever for them to announce. Like, they announced it two days or the day before the event? Two days. Two days before one? the event. Yeah, two, they announced it two days before the event. Uh, how much points you need for your invite, uh, how much you would win at the regionals, and how many points you would get for doing well at the regionals. Yeah, and it's the exact same uh, as before. And it took them so long to announce it and nothing changed <laughs> like that just is ridiculous. Once again, no credit to Pokemon for getting announcements out there. It just took way too long to give us information. We kind of already assumed we have, but it doesn't mean it's correct for them to withhold the information to this point. Right. Um, people want to know what they're playing for or what they are trying to, to play for. Right. And to be honest with like how much the game has grown and where it's going. And I know you feel this way. Everything feels a little bit low. Right. It really does. These are the numbers that were set in 2016 and the world is a vastly different place six years later than it was in 2016 the 2016-2017 season being the first one where cash was added to the game now i think that first season the initial prize structure was terrible when it first came out i don't know if you remember or not uh but initially when they first announced okay regional championships are gonna get prize money first place is gonna win five thousand dollars second place is going to win twenty five hundred dollars everyone else in the top 32 gets 250 bucks top four oh, top 16 top 32 whatever you got 250 bucks wait actually is yes, that actually what it was that is no actually way. what it was yes you don't remember this and then it was no. a massive wave of support tickets from the community headed up by our friend michael slutsky how do you not remember this <laughs> and I everyone I remember being 250 for top eight i thought it was like maybe outside of top eight it was low no it was a was terrible the... breakdown everyone Jeez. submitted tickets very top heavy it, it was very top heavy maybe it was like five thousand and thirty five hundred or something like that for first mm -hmm. and second and then top four was 20, 250 bucks um so the community submitted support tickets and things got changed and they eventually made it so that Top 32, to, similar to what this prize payout looks like now. But in addition to top 32 getting $250, top 64 also got $250. A little yeah. nice little rebate, you know, that helps pay for, you know, a good chunk of travel. At that time, it really probably paid for most of your travel. Um, splitting a hotel and then uh, flights were a lot cheaper uh, six years ago than they are now. Yeah. Um, but then in the 2018 season... 2017-2018 uh, season, they took away the top 64 money, and then that this is what the structure has been since 2018, 2017-2018 season. So no changes really, and stuff's gotten more expensive in life, man. It's more expensive to travel. Hotels are more expensive. Uh, the game has gotten a lot bigger. Cards are way more expensive than they once were, um, and Pokemon's been making more money than they've made um so it does up. feel pretty bad to look at all those factors and see all right we're still getting kind of the same thing as far as pricing goes yeah so it feels pretty bad i definitely think they need to increase it i don't know what they should increase it to 
Um, it feels weird if they were to give. You know what? They should they should just go to the full ten k because if you said they won like seven thousand five hundred, that just looks like a bad number. You got to go to the full ten k for sure. It looks so, better, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so may as well just commit, right? Ten k for first, five k for second. But yeah, I definitely feel like prize payout needs to be increased. Um, in that just just flat out for regionals, and I also think um. I don't even know where I don't know where it should be, right? I don't know what it should be. I do think there should be uh if you make day two, you get um prize money though. I think that should probably be a thing. Like pay it out to top maybe you actually be paying out to top one twenty eight. You should at least be paying out to top sixty four, I guess. Maybe you could bring back the top sixty four yeah, payout. Top 64, right? Um that way at least give people something to play with too towards the end of the day and people aren't just like um you know, IDing to stay out of like, because we you do get tournaments big enough where you're like IDing to stay in 128, right? Yeah. <laughs> so now you can play for top 64, I guess, or something. So, yeah, I don't know. They need to do that. They need a, top 64 should get money, and then they need to increase the prize money payout, I think, overall. I don't know what it should be. Um, I think it definitely should be more. Yeah, like you said, we've been we've been doing this for now. We've been on the same prize structure for five years, um, and, yeah, nothing's changed. And with that, the CP structure, um, I think, probably needs to change as well, right? Like, there should be – and I actually don't think it should scale – it shouldn't be a constant but i think it should scale with size of event right like there should be some bump right now there's bumps to increase the prize payout to more people kind of backwards like first place is always 200 points yes right at the uh, regionals and then second place is always 180 160 but i think once we hit a certain number first place should be like, like maybe a thousand people then first place should be 250 and then it should also bump down to um, increase other points for everyone who made 128 um and then the other thing would be i think if you make day two like if you if there's a hundred if the if if prize payout to 128 i don't know what it is it's 30 points to take is increased to 40 when we hit the thousand point mark if you're if you are if you make day two and your player num number 129 uh one 130 whatever you should also get the same cp as anyone who made day two there should be day two cp and then for you know increments of placements up from that you should get more cp what do you think is a more impressive accomplishment for a player is well, making day two at a thousand person regionals or winning a 20 30 person league cup day two at a thousand person regionals. i would agree with that but 60 people who participated in baltimore regionals this weekend got or sorry who made day two at baltimore regionals this weekend Got 40 championship points, which is 10 less points than you get for winning a league cup. And that just really, I, I totally agree with you. It's not how it should be. Um, they've got to, they do bump it based, you know, how many they pay out. Like you mentioned, if there's more players competing, it really does need to scale. And the prize money scales, right? Uh, granted, the top level is for 201 plus players. Yeah. Um, so this is mostly going to be, be the... relevant for like um, for like the younger divisions and stuff. But yeah. Maybe that should be the same thing as like we're talking about with CP with for prize money as well. If we hit, I don't know what numbers to say, a thousand again. If we hit a thousand players, maybe the prize money doesn't double, but now it's 7,500 for first place, right? Um, just like another bump based on attendance like i think that would be reasonable but i i don't know maybe it should just be maybe but i feel like once again they'll kind of think about because your your travel factors don't change depending on how many players show up right you could argue the tournament's harder to win doesn't necessarily mean that the prize money should be because uh, 
Worlds is probably harder than most regionals just because of the caliber of players, but there's less players, right? So, and a lot of these regionals, like especially in the Masters division, especially in North America, are getting extremely competitive. You have a lot of players coming from uh, other countries. Um, you know, Tord was here. You have players coming from Latin American countries to show up and play in these. Gustavo regularly comes to North American Pablo regionals. Pablo goes as to well. like every single North American regionals. Yep. Pablo, like these. North American regionals are really are getting really really hard, um, and just because the player base is bigger, we have more seniors, and then all the good seniors age up, and it just like it come like we got we got Piper and um, Reagan. Travis last year, Reagan yeah. we got Reagan this year. this year aged up, so like it just it just keeps getting so much so much so much and so much harder <laughs> at these regionals. I definitely feel like we need some kind of CP increase, we need some kind of prize pool increase, whether that just be outright or. I think the the prize money should just be outright, but if it is, if they at least gave us like, if you hit a thousand players, we'll give you some more money. That that would be something, right? I think yeah. it needs to be something for sure. I, I think we're at the point at that point, anyways. One other thing we need to talk about, and then we need to move on to keep the cast rolling, um, is that whenever this information got released on Thursday, a ton oh, yeah. of information was wrong. So <laughs> they released, they updated the. And it's not even the page. new information. No, it, it wasn't any of this. This was all fine and correct. Well, maybe it is wrong. Let's hope it's wrong. Actually, hopefully, <laughs> this stuff was also wrong, and they haven't updated it yet. Yeah, it was maybe. events. Some of them that were already announced, stuff was messed up. Yes, events had wrong dates on them, had wrong locations on them. Titles. That was different from the original announcement one of the examples was like the uh, milwaukee regional championships was changed to a madison regional championships in europe there was a tournament the warsaw tournament which was regionally uh, originally a regionals was changed to a special event now those things (laughs) have been fixed and changed now but one thing that is actually still not changed which is wrong and it is posted on the pokemon website still right now when we're recording this episode is that toronto regionals It says here is November 4th to 6th, which is incorrect. So if you are listening to this and you are planning to go to Toronto Regionals, it is not November 4th to 6th. It has been confirmed by the organizer. The tournament is taking place December 2nd through the 4th, which is what was originally announced. Yeah, we're only six weeks away from that. It's not that I already booked my flight for Toronto and I booked it two days before the announcement where they came out with the wrong date. And I was kind of pissed. I was like, all right, so what's the right date? Should I try and cancel this flight or what's going on here? <laughs> um, but we're six weeks away. It wouldn't be unreasonable for someone to look on the website right now and book a flight, right? Like tomorrow morning. Yeah. Just like be like, I'm going to Toronto regionals. What are the dates? And they look it up and they're like, look at the, go look at their, the place where they book their flights. You know, oh, this is a reasonable price for these dates. I'm going to book my flight, right? And they book their flight. They don't get the 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 trip uh, insurance because no one does that. <laughs> and then 24 hours passes and they can't cancel their flight anymore. And that would suck, right? So, um, yeah, this is it's just – I don't even, like, want to say it. Like, it's it's obviously sad and bad, but we just say this Unacceptable. every week. Unacceptable. Unacceptable. This information should be correct when it gets released. Now, obviously, things will change, but this is, like, a different situation from that. It's not like a tournament that's happening in several months – um, you know, has a little bit of an update and gets moved to a different convention center in the same city. Like, that's a reasonable thing that could happen, theoretically, mm-hmm. at some point, right? And I think most people would be understanding that things like that could occur. This is something, like you said, <laughs> like the beginning of November, being six weeks away, it would be not unreasonable for someone to just stumble upon this, wants to go and be like, oh, yeah, boom, book my flight. And, they, yeah, and it's not like- they're just out of luck. 
Yeah, it's not like something happened that would cause them to no longer be able to run an event at a convention. This is they someone has to go in there, open HTML or whatever, and just switch like a couple numbers or whatever on the website. Like it's like not hard to do, uh, and it's been wrong now. It's still it's still wrong. It's been wrong for days now, right? Yes. So hopefully we'll wake up tomorrow and it'll be fixed. But we'll find. We'll have to wait and see. Fingers crossed. We will have to wait and see though. But Azul, there were several tournaments this weekend. We already talked about Baltimore a little bit. You were a competitor. You got top 16. Congrats once again. But that was not all. Um, of course, there were the two tournaments taking place with Lost Origin Cards Legal, the Champions League in Japan, and then a tournament, I believe it was in Singapore, if I am remembering yep. correctly. Regionals over there. Um, but there were... Uh, three more tournaments that took place in the Pokemon Go format, Sword and Shield through Pokemon Go. So we had the Baltimore Regionals, Porto Alguerre in Brazil, and Bilbao in Spain, a special event. All three events won by three different decks, and we'll start by talking about Baltimore. We were both there, which was won by Piper Lapine with her Radiant Charizard deck. Congratulations to Piper. I think she is someone, and I said this on the broadcast during... The live stream, she is someone that everyone knew is like a really good player. And it's kind of someone who, uh, <clears throat> at the end of last year, she was in that weird spot where she was a senior in 2019, COVID happened, and then all of a sudden in 2022, events come back and she's having to play half a season as a master. And she had yeah. really good finishes for someone in that situation. She got top 64 at internationals, top 32 at regional championships, which are all really impressive things. And I think everyone kind of recognized, okay, Piper's going to break into the top eight at some point, most likely this season. It's like going to happen. And then she ends up breaking into the top eight and winning her first master's top eight. Congratulations to piper lapine yeah yeah congrats congrats and yeah with the radiant sword which is a deck i think we both mentioned we were like it's it's one of those decks where it's really good we both respected it as like a, a tier one slash tier two deck and if yeah if it won the tournament like i mean we wouldn't we wouldn't be surprised right and yeah piper took it down with the the radiant sword yeah the deck is just the deck's really good yeah and she played it uh super well super well i went back and actually like watched i saw i forget who made a comment someone made a comment on twitter about how well she played it so i was like i just wanted to go back and watch her just like play with the deck and yeah that was uh pretty crazy um um not too much else too uh ridiculous i guess the other the other deck that we could talk about in top eight from baltimore was jack moore's more well it's not a more pico deck it is a mill tank it's deck more peco as well more peco less there but there was some less peco in the deck there was a less peco in the deck um and it was just like kind of a weird control deck right like it was a mill tank deck so you're obviously just trying to win with mill tank whenever you can but then there was also more Peko in there, Ditto, uh, and a Reggie Lecky, I believe, right? Yeah, and it's the bad Alecky, quote-unquote bad, bad Alecky, to, to just grab trainers back from the discard pile, put them into your hand. And I imagine that's probably mostly used in like situations where your opponent has run out of stuff and you're copying Ditto to you know use more Peko, and then you cycle in a Reggie Lecky when you can type yeah. thing. Potentially. Well, some Yvitals as well. Yeah, for the um, Mew matchups. But yeah, very cool deck. Uh, it really is uh, it definitely riding heavy on the back of Mill Tank, it feels like. Yeah. And honestly, probably a reasonably good meta call for Jack because Arceus Intellion was not very popular, but Arceus Pikachu was, and that deck does not have a good answer to Mill Tank. Attacking with Bibarel is not going to do it. It might get you through one Mill Tank. It's not getting you through four, though. Yeah, I mean, there is also, like, the Decidueye that most people played, but... Oh, that's true, um, yes, yeah. 
I can't forget that. Yeah, you can you can get the situation set up, but there's crushing hammers, there's Yvitaller to remove DTE potentially, and then the Morpeko, the deck doesn't play a ton of switch cards, and Decidueye is two retreat costs. So Morpeko comes up, punches the Decidueye. Alright, you can't use that attack next turn. And then if they evolve it, you lose access to the attack to KO Mill Tanks. And if you retreat it, you lose two energy. It just gets kind of bad. Uh <laughs> so I'm sure you just sit there, set up Mill Tank and hold your crushing hammers and kind of wait for the Decidueye to, you know, show itself, and then you start kind of going after it pretty aggressively. Um, so yeah, really cool deck um unfortunately probably not going to be very good next format and i would have loved to have, like try this deck out and experiment with it but with the new format already here um i'll probably never really truly learn what this deck was capable of because there's just with the loss on decks being so good and having so many one prize attackers i don't think mill tank is going to be quite as powerful um for sure and i think the only other thing to really mention from baltimore besides that um would just be mewtwo dte mewtwo Kind of, I guess, overall, if you look at the tournament, kind of dominated Mew v DTE Mew. Yeah. DTE Mew. No Fusion Strike Energy, DTE Mew. Kind of dominated the tournament, I think, overall. Um, Jeremy was 9-0 going to day two. Um, and then you had also... With three in Rudiger, top eight. Yeah, three in top eight overall, Rudiger and uh, Molaski as well, alongside Jeremy. So, and, and overall, outside, of, there was just a ton of it in the top tables going from day one to day two and then in day two in general there's a lot of a lot of dtmu a couple of fusion strike mews still um but the dtmu is everywhere before we move on too far away from the more peco deck there is one thing i want to comment on just in case anyone is kind of curious it is always really unfortunate um so just kind of like a little bit of a behind the scenes look on the functions and choices as to what goes into the stream so the casters we we do it is up to us to pick which matches go on stream and we do generally just have a short amount of time to make that decision because we got to get to the table before the players get set up so we can get them to the stream get things moving and get things rolling as quickly as possible so it's a quick decision process so because of that we are always out there in the field watching games trying to find unique decks unique techs and we want to feature people whenever they come up with something unique. So Jack was a player who was very much on our radar as someone we wanted to try to feature on the live stream. But unfortunately, it just didn't quite work out that way. So I wanted to bring this up because it was brought up on Twitter by Kevin Clementi, friend of ours, Mellow Magikarp, or as he would say, Mellow underscore Magikarp. How in the world did we let Miltank Morpeko make top eight and it never got streamed, yet we were forced to watch 85 Mew matchups, including Amir? And I did respond to this just because I wanted to give a little insight, and I don't want people to think that we were avoiding putting a control deck on stream because there's a little bit of that mentality out there. And I'm not going to say, like, we don't ever try to avoid it entirely, but we are mindful with how often decks like that get featured because it is a little different than how traditional Pokemon is meant to be played like those type of decks and for a lot of viewers that becomes an uninteresting experience so we talked about early in day one um, when we saw that there was you know your crew Azul playing the Mewtwo deck it was like okay we're gonna feature this deck at once at some point today just because it is a deck that people love people you know like the idea of it but it's kind of a repetitive and like once you see yeah. it once and you understand what it does, it's not very exciting. Right. I, I mean, even <laughs> as you who played it, I think you would say that is fair. Right. 
Yeah, yeah. So Definitely we was a little bit training to heal 200 damage every single turn. So between the handful of players who were playing it, and there were several of you guys that we were watching um, who were playing the deck, it was like, okay, we're going to put one of them on at some point in the day. We'll just wait until there's a good matchup. And it came up. You were playing against Arceus Duraludon. He had the Ordinary Rod. We're like, okay, this could be have enough interesting scenarios, and we haven't had Arceus Duraludon on yet. This will work. Let's get these guys on. So that's why Azul's match got picked. Um I did want to say, so, and this is what my response to Melo was, we became aware of Jack's deck during day two in the early rounds. We didn't stream the first couple of rounds. We started with round 12, um, and we were excited. So I'll just read what I tweeted. We were excited about Jack's deck and didn't and did want the chance to feature it. Anytime someone comes up with something creative and does well, I think they deserve a shot in the spotlight. Sadly, sometimes things don't always work out. In round 12, we featured Piper versus Drew, who was at table one. Two great players playing unique decks. It seems like a slam dunk choice for the live stream, to be honest. We had not had a Reggie's deck on stream yet at that point in the tournament. So it seems like a slam dunk choice, and I don't think many people would question that decision. Round 13, we put on the Stone Journer, which is a unique deck. They were playing against Mew, Ty Pelechia. Um, so it was another Mew. I know we did see a lot of Mew, but there's a reason for it. It was very popular, and it was yeah, doing it was well. And, and a lot of good players were playing it as well. So all of these things lead to you know, the deck seeing maybe a little bit more representation on the stream, um, which is just going to happen sometimes. So round 13, we put on Stone Journer. Round 14 was the round we were like, all right, number one choice, Jack. We're putting on the Mill Tank Morpeko deck. It's going on this round. And Jack got up paired. He got paired to Piper. And Piper was already locked for cut at that point. So she had the luxury of being able to just instantly concede to Jack to put him into cut to give him more match points, putting him to 34 match points because the matchup is so good for her. It is a really solid matchup. Jack's deck is an anti V star V max deck and Piper plays none of those cards. So <laughs> it was a very good matchup for Piper. She was confident in it. And so she said, I'm going to concede to you. I'm already locked for cut. Let me get you locked for cut. So I have a chance to play against you, which ended up working out in her favor and then, of course, in round 15, Jack ended up IDing because he was at 34 match points, IDs to 35, so no reason to play it out ever, right? So we didn't get to put him on in Swiss. We were like, okay, maybe in top eight, though, we'll get a matchup we can put him on, and he plays against Piper. And obviously, if Piper <laughs> feels confident enough to scoop him into cuts, it's probably not a matchup that we want to pick to put on the stream. And even if we yeah. had picked it to put on stream, something we also have to consider, especially especially in top cut, whenever we have extended time, is the potential for a lot of downtime between matches, which is what we always want to avoid. That's what gets people uninterested in sticking around and watching the stream. If we put on a match for top eight that goes to it lasts for 45 minutes and the rest of the top eight matches go for the full 75. That's going to be 30 minutes of downtime where there's not much for us to do. And we're going to lose a lot of people that way. So these are all things we're having to consider and juggle and bounce back and forth as to when we're choosing a match. And so that's why we ended up going with the match. We did Jeremy, who was the first seed coming into day one, playing the Mew deck, which was the big story to me from the event was, you know, this new build of the deck being so popular and so powerful and uh, playing up uh, against Ice Rider, a deck that we had not had on yet. So it was also a win there getting to feature that deck and it ended up being a pretty good game. And it did last the pretty much the full 75 minutes. Yeah, no, I mean, that all makes sense. Kind of unfortunate to not get the uh, Mill Tank more Pico deck on the stream. Um, but um, 
yeah, just kind of goes down that way. Um, but there was a couple more events this uh, this weekend. Um, we had the regional in Porto, Algeria. Did I get that Algeria, right? Algeria. Algeria. <laughs> Won by Dalton with a uh, uh, an interesting Arceus deck. A very interesting Arceus deck. Quad Arceus. Now, this is actually a deck, like, when we both saw this, we probably both saw, thought the same thing. This is a deck that we both tried out when Arceus, like, first came out, right? Where it was just a 4-4 Arceus. I mean, that's basically it. Dalton did have a couple more interesting things in here. A Blissey V, a Slacking V, and Dunsparce is not a huge surprise because removing Friday weakness from Arceus is pretty good, but Slacking V and Blissey V were definitely a surprise <laughs> to be included alongside just a 4-3 Arceus, and that's all the Pokemon in the deck. And then besides that, supporters, energies, other fun stuff. Uh, but basically just like a quad, almost quad. I guess there's only three Arceus. There is two Ordinary Rods, so we can get some more Arceus back. That Two Ordinary Rods. Actually, that's you could get back three Slackings. You could do Slacking three times. Um, so that's probably the craziest deck to come out of this weekend besides the quad mill tank deck, to be honest. Um, so shout out to Dalton for winning with, a. I, it's just a wild deck. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely a unique one. Also another one that I feel a little sad that I won't get a chance to really like play it to its yeah. full capacity. Cause if I play it on the ladder, I'm going to be playing against lost zone box, which obviously this deck was not built with those type of things in mind because it wasn't in the format, but yeah, very cool deck. Um, very similar to the quad Arceus decks that we have played before. Slacking V is a card that, uh, has all kind of been on my radar ever since Pokemon go came out because it does a lot of damage <laughs> and yeah. it, it has a lot of HP too. 230 puts it out of range, makes it much more difficult to KO by a lot of things. It can't be KO'd by any cute, like, you know, Arceus, Zigzagoon, Choice Belt plays, um, unless you, I guess, got a scoop up net in there as well. Um, it's harder for Palkia to KO, though, you know, not that hard, but, you know, a little harder. And especially when you throw a yep. Cape of Toughness on it, it definitely makes it a little bit bigger or even like a, a Tool Jammer as well would work. Uh, but slacking with the ability to just one hit KO V stars with its heavy impact attack. If you throw powerful colorless energy and choice belt on it, you can just do a ton of damage. Very cool deck. Definitely. Congratulations to Dalton on the finish. Yeah, definitely. Definitely for sure. Um, <clears throat> and then the, the last event was the special event in Bilbo won by uh, Pierre um, with the, the, the classic Mew V max Meloetta, not the DTE build. I think there was a DTE build in top eight. Um, so Mew kind of getting, uh, <laughs> it's, it's final say in one of the last major events of the format, um, and getting it, getting a dub there with the Meloetta build. Um, and I think the, the, the more surprising deck to me and a deck that actually you predicted would potentially do well was Stefan showed up with the Arceus Duraludon. And one thing we kind of talked about was like, neither of us think, like, I don't think Arceus Duraludon is like that good of a deck. I don't think it's bad. But sometimes all any deck needs that is a solid tier one, tier one to tier three deck is just a really good player to pick it up and kind of, you know, push it to its limit. We saw, uh, of course, Braden win Milwaukee regionals in basically the same format um, before NAIC. Uh, since then, Arceus right on those kind of been down on the down, been, been on the down low. Yeah, but Stefan bringing it here to Bilbo to get the, the second place finish with it. But of course, Mew, especially with the Meloetta build is pretty tough, I feel like, for Duraludon. So not able to quite close it out. Yeah, you get this final say, and Duraldon uh, shows up uh, as well at the end here. And I do want to mention a couple of things uh, about the list here from Stefan. Very interesting. Uh, a couple texts to, to note. The Karen's Conviction... 
pretty cool supporter card. It's not like the craziest thing to see. I think we've seen it in Duraludon yeah. a couple times here and there, but basically can just boost your damage in the late game so your Duraludon can one-hit KO a V-Star potentially. And then also Tower of Darkness being the stadium of choice as opposed to the tanky Crystal Cave, which is really what most people have... Um, gravitated toward and also the trekking shoes in there as well just really focused on consistency go fast. um so yeah go fast for sure so I shout out to stefan stefan undoubtedly one of the best players in the game yeah arceus draladon it's one of those decks that like the matchups on paper seem so good for it but so many of the best players just don't like the deck don't think it's great um recognize its weaknesses and so gravitate away from it for those reasons uh, but Stefan was like, you know what? The matchup seemed good. I'm going to play it. And he ended up getting second with it. Close to a win, not quite, but uh, very well played, I'm sure. And congratulations to Stefan. I've not gone back and watched any of the streamed games yet from uh, Bilbao, but I will will go back and check some of that out. Looking forward to watching how exactly the final shaped up. Yeah, me either. I've only watched the the finals of... Uh... I only went back and we watched the finals of what's it called Baltimore. I would actually didn't even watch. I was there. I didn't. Even, I didn't watch any of that when I was done with day two. What I the heck, left man. the menu. We need to get people in the crowd. Come on, it's exciting. <laughs> I, did, I did go back and rewatch the the finals though. But yeah, that's gonna do it. Those are the last three major events in the format. Uh, and to kind of close out the format and something we might do a little bit more routinely with the end of each format, just kind of like talk a couple points we might want to talk about. Uh, the main thing I wanted to talk about was just kind of Palkia and Mew in general um, as being you know. Mew being by far the most powerful deck until we kind of got Palkia, and then we got Palkia. I think Palkia and Teleon still is the best deck in the format, I think, overall. can kind of be tech for so many situations. Uh, and was overall, I think, underplayed here. I think you could make an argument that the Mew VMAX deck with the DTs could be the most powerful deck in the format. I know quite a few of the players who brought it to Baltimore th think it is the best deck in the format by far. Um, I do think the deck is very good. Uh, and it's cool to see Mew kind of show up in dominance again at least at baltimore and it did win uh bilbo although bilbo was the mellow build but it'd be different not just like mellow mew with catchers donking everyone and no one kind of having any fun there's a lot more depth to the gameplay against the uh, the the dte build i say a lot more it's still mew <laughs> this guy echoing horn and cross switcher so it still does a, some gimmicky race stuff that you can't really keep up with but um it does feel it just feels more enjoyable to play against than the Meloetta build. I guess that's what I'll that's what I'll say. So I'm happy that ended up being the more dominant build, at least in Baltimore. So I didn't I wasn't playing against the fusion strike build every single every single Mew I went up against was not the fusion strike build. Um but yeah, I think those two decks are still kind of the at the end of it all, those are still definitely the two best decks in the format. I think overall is Mew and Palkia. They're still the tier S at the end of it all, um, despite how the format has changed up to this point. Yeah, Arc Bibarel definitely underperformed this weekend, but you know, yeah. we can't totally count it out. Obviously, you won an AIC with it, though the format was slightly different. We didn't have Pokemon Go, but um, and then of course it won the world championships by Andre Shkubal. So congratulations yeah. uh to all of the people who did well in this format. I think this format was overall uh pretty fun. I don't think it was like um it is I think it was an improvement on the Brilliant Stars format in my mind. I enjoyed it I a bit more, brought in some more variety. Uh, though Brilliant Stars, like we saw variety, but it was all around Arceus. <laughs> so it was like the same yeah. deck, but like a little <laughs> different, but really the same. So yeah, I was definitely yeah. a fan of this format. Um, and something I also wanted to to chat about was kind of the question of like, is a format ever really solved? I think that's a discussion that comes up a lot. Like, oh, we figured the format out. This is the obvious best deck, and this is the best way to play it. And I think that's like proven that that's not, 
really the case. We've got this new Mew build that has really just kind of come out in the last couple weeks at the end of the format here. Obviously got huge help from Pokemon Go uh, with Pokestop. I don't think this deck really functions at all without access to Pokestop. Like, Pokestop is super good. Um, Cool that, you know, people found a good way to utilize that stadium because I think everyone recognized how powerful it could be. Um, and then also, like, there's always room for innovation, as we saw from Jack Moore making top eight with a Miltank more, more Peko deck, right? Yeah, and then also the, you know, the the quad Arceus deck from, uh, yes, from yes, Dalton, yeah, right. uh, and even Tord came out with a pretty cool Palkia deck, kind of like Palkia Ice, Be- uh, Ice Rider B-Barrel, but there was no Ice Rider, it was just Palkia B-Barrel, um, so... Yeah, I think I think it is hard for a format to truly be solved before the next set releases. Like, I'm sure you can get close sometimes, and I think sometimes the progression of a format is more so due to the lack of, uh, the lack of or the the how bored some of the top players are in the game. Where it's like I could play ADPization again, or I could play a deck that maybe 50-50s it, and it's just different, right? Sure. There's something that's not ADPization, but 50-50s ADPization. That's like the only reason that they end up playing not ADPization, right? Um, so. I think it is kind of maybe depends on the format a little bit. Um, and then also like how many tournaments are in the format as well. This format did not have that many tournaments, right. right? It was just, just worlds, right? Yeah. Worlds. And then this weekend pretty much. Yep. Yeah. So that's another big thing. Cause I think that is the, the biggest catalyst for change in the format that makes people want to stop and think and try and come up with something new and different is the next major tournament. Right. So that's going to be a big difference. That's going to be a big, uh, Big impact on how how fast a format evolves or if it evolves at all will just be when how how many major tournaments we have in it well it is time azul to move on to everyone's favorite segment of the show guess that flavor text where each week either azul or myself picks a pokemon card reads the flavor text from it and has the other host try to guess what pokemon is featured on that card you get four points We have been keeping track, of course, over the last few episodes or all of the episodes of who has gotten more correct. I do believe we are still tied up at the moment, three points to three points, because uh, we're both terrible at it. Um, (laughs) But if you get it all, if you get the flavor text correct without using any of your lifelines, you get four points. And for each of the three lifelines you use, you lose a point. So the three lifelines being what set the card is from, what stage the card is, and then have your opponent read an attack name. And I got to give a shout out for this choice to my friend I met this weekend, or saw this weekend, Naomi, came up to me with her family, her brother and her parents, and uh, gave me this card to try to guess the flavor text. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you afterwards if I got it correct or not whenever she quizzed me on it. But here we go. Let's get into it. Azul, are you ready? I'm ready. The gas made in its belly burns from its rear end. The fire burns weakly when it feels sick. All right, go ahead. Read that to me one more time. <laughs> the gas made in its belly burns from its rear end. The fire burns weakly when it feels sick. So, I mean, it's probably a fire-type Pokemon. I mean, it it's definitely like i initially thought of i heard gas and i thought of coughing and wheezing but i don't think it's coughing or wheezing i for some reason i think it's tepig because no wait you know now i'm thinking it's lechonk i don't know why i think it's lechonk though it could be the chonk but we don't have a lechonk right 
Azul, it's guess the flavor text. We don't have a Lechonk card. What are you talking about? Okay. (laughs) That's what I was asking. I was like, do we have a Lechonk? I'm I'm thinking about pigs. I'm thinking about gas. I'm thinking about farting. I'm stuck on pig Pokemon. Um, I kind of want to go for the four points with Tepic, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and be a little bit safer here. So I'm going to go with what stage is the card? It is a basic. <sighs> all right. So asking what set the card is from won't help me at all. So I'm going to go with an attack name. Ember. I'm going to go with Tepig. That is incorrect, Azul. Oh, my God. I will read this or say what the uh, set Sets. is for anyone who's trying to guess along at home wants to use this last lifeline. The set is Steam Siege. There is no Tepig in Steam Siege. And the card is Chimchar. So what? a different basic fire <laughs> Pokemon, a different starter fire. Don't worry, Azul. I also got it wrong when Naomi came up and quizzed me on it. I didn't realize Chimchar, if you look at this card, Chimchar from Steam Siege, he does have fire on his butt. I didn't realize he had fire on his butt for some reason. (laughs) I don't think anyone thinks about Chimchar having fire on his butt. I I, I guessed, I said that my thoughts initially went to Charmander. I was thinking back to... um, like the cartoon that we watched when we were kids and uh you know charmander's um f- tail would always dim down whenever it wasn't feeling good or it was sad or it felt oh, sick yeah. so that's what made me that i went with i i used one lifeline and said what stage is the card she told me it was a basic so i said you know what i'm going with charmander and it was wrong it is chim char <laughs> so shout outs once again to Naomi for the submission. Let us know down in the comments of the YouTube video. Did you get the guess that flavor text correct this week? Azul not getting on the board this time. Unfortunately, I was kind of feeling confident. It's not yeah. a bad oh, guess. Well. It's not a bad guess. It's just a different, yeah. a different first form fire starter. <laughs> All right, let's go ahead. Wrap it up here in this episode. Last thing we're going to talk about is Baltimore Regionals. That's what the original we were both at. And it definitely didn't go as smoothly as it could have. It could have been the same at the other major events. We don't know. We didn't participate in those. And there was definitely less talk on Twitter. But, of course, when you have a, a regional with a 1,000 players, I don't know how many participants were in the other two events. But, Around uh, there's more... 300 in Bilbao and 250-ish in, in um, Brazil. Yeah, so when you have a 1,000-player event, there's just more people who could be tweeting about it. So um yeah there was definitely some issues i mean the first thing i guess to bring up here we should talk about real quick is there was no bag checks which is definitely a little bit off-putting compared to i mean every other event i think has had bag checks yeah and i saw a couple people talking about this on twitter in my replies about how they felt a little unsure about that and in it's just a minor thing it seems like that if something went wrong would have become a major thing you know and it's not something it's not out of the realm of possibility for some incident to have occurred now i will say i have always felt extremely safe at every single pokemon tournament that i've been to uh, the staff and the pokemon company do a great job with these events and i don't know where the disconnect was here is it an organizer thing was it a venue thing where things just weren't lined up and checked there were event 
uh, or venue staff like sitting at the door as you walked in. And I kind of like walked in the first time. I was like, oh, do we need to I need to show you my bag or like what? And it's like, we're good. Go on. Um, so I was like, yeah, it's definitely uh, abnormal to what I would say we are used to. Yeah, definitely different. I definitely feel like um, for me, like, I mean, it's always the convention center staff that does the bag checks. It's not judges, right? Right. Yes. So I, the only thing I could think about is like maybe in Baltimore, it's just not law to do bag checks for events. But I don't know if it is at any of the other places um, or whenever there's been other things happening, uh, you know, next to you know, a Pokemon regional at a convention it doesn't seem like bag checks are always happening at other events either. So it seems like it was being in, being asked by Pokemon to tell the, the the convention that they would like bag checks done. And then the the convention center staff is the ones who do the bag checks, right? So I don't know what did uh, Overload just not ask for bag checks to happen. Did they not even attempt to try and have bag checks done? Who knows? We, I guess we could see, maybe we'll see some consistency from uh the next overload event right if there's no bag checks again maybe we can try and there's bag checks at the other events maybe we can try and just draw a conclusion there right or i would say it was maybe they'll probably say something who knows it was maybe like an unfortunate oversight or like just maybe a miscommunication happened somewhere yeah. you know there's so many moving parts when it comes to running events like i do not or envy a tournament organizer's job at all there is so much to go into and it is really a thankless job because People are very critical and, um, you know, sometimes rightfully so. And we are going to be talking about that here soon because there's definitely plenty of issues that I think deserve criticism. Um, but running an event is difficult. Let's not get it out. Yeah. Uh, let, let's not forget. And there is always, of course, a human behind every bit of criticism. So always keep that in mind when you're providing feedback to something. Um, and to me, really, one of the biggest issues at the event was not something that affected me personally as I was not a competitor, but I do think it is a massive deal. And that is the fact that players who registered for this event on overloads website, it says that they would receive a $20 ultra pro coupon with their registration. And when you went to pick your bag up, that's not what you got. You got a 15% off ultra pro coupon. And that is a, big difference there's a big yeah. difference between getting like a nice little 20 dollar rebate go get yourself a deck box and some sleeves and then now it's a coupon that you have to spend additional money to actually get any value from yeah especially if you're someone who uses ultra pro products right like you're just gonna go get sleeves for your next couple of regionals or whatever um and that was definitely i mean i felt like that was a pretty big deal i think overall the community seemed to be pretty upset about it um uh, overall and i think it's like the first time there's ever been kind of a and, and i think this does tie in a little bit to the entry fee being so high it's like okay when entry fees were 40 50 it was like people were like oh i'm just like comfortable with spending that much money at a yeah, to play at the event uh i'll get my swag uh if i forget to get my swag i don't care as much but now that it's 70 dollars and people are actually stopping and thinking and being like okay what am i getting in return for this 70 dollars right i think it's like the first time anyone's ever asked that question about entry fee for a pokemon tournament just what am i i'm giving you this much what am i getting in return right trade offer uh <laughs> 70 <laughs> regional fee 20 ultra pro coupon except there was no 20 ultra pro coupon uh when the trade offer went down um, and that wasn't they ran out of play mats, they ran out of promos. It's seemingly way earlier, um, or just in general, 
Um, I don't even know how, I don't know if I've ever heard of them running out of promos before. And I used to pick up my swag really late at most regionals. And I like, I've always walked away with my swag when I remember to get it. Um, this time around, I remembered late and me being late is a fine reason for me to have not gotten my swag, to be honest. Um, but the reason was they just didn't have any, they were all out. And when you're paying $70 and I know even on the site, it says, you know, while supplies last, but I think there should be a, when we're paying $70 for entry fees, I think there should be a pretty big effort to, uh, supply that demand, right? That should be, there should be an effort to do it. Right. Um, and from what I've seen so far as like, uh, as far as <laughs> answers to the situation was well, just show up earlier, right? But when there's a when there's like an outcry, like when there's a noticed a noticeable negative response to this situation, if the responses will show up earlier, what's going to happen is after a couple of events of show up earlier, everyone is going to go get swag immediately when they show up to the event hall, and that will lead to people within the first hour of the event being open not being able to get swag because they ran out, right? the swag will just be gone within the first couple hours because everyone will immediately go to get swag. And I'm sure the, the event staff doesn't want that to happen. I'm sure it's way nicer and easier for people to come and go and get their swag from the event staff throughout a day instead of people lining up immediately, like a huge line to go get their swag, right? Um, so I don't think that's a good or reasonable answer is just show up earlier. Because if that happens, you know, three or four events in a row, more and more people will immediately go to the event hall and go over to the swag, right? And then the swag will be, you know, be all gone uh in the first two hours of the event starting um and what's gonna happen is like round one is gonna start before people could get their swag anyway and now it's gonna be a race to finish round one to run over to the swag desk and go get your swag right it's gonna be like yeah. well i don't know if i'm gonna win this game three i'll concede i'm gonna go get my swag <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like i don't think i'm gonna win this i may as well get swag confirmed right i don't remember where it was i did see a twitter reply somewhere in the discussion happening uh, around this this week where someone said that they had to get out of line to go pick up their swag because round one was starting they went to go play their game after round one they went to pick up their swag they were out of the play mats i don't think they were out that early so it, they had to have gone back a little bit later yeah. i don't think they were out after like round yeah, one that might be a little bit of exaggeration then from yeah person. i think they i didn't know about mats but i think they had promos as as late as sunday so they if they had uh, promos they maybe didn't have mats so the mats maybe went fast that could have been the one thing but i i think it shouldn't be a, a, a thing of like TO's response to this should not be you better show up earlier. Um, they should there should definitely be like sometimes that we might not have enough, right? That's fine. But I think there should be an effort from the TOs to try and match the number of playmats and promos, especially promos. Like the the little packets they get have like uh, I don't know how many they have. 50, let's just say 50. Yeah. And it's like this big. Like the thing is like this big. Just get get 10 more of those right it's a box like go order 10 more of those things get get a surplus of them there should i feel like every event should end with extra swag that you end up just giving to staff anyways or something like that that's it's it's such it seems it's such a minor uh cost right to, yeah. to end the tournament with plus 50 play mats and promo codes and as far as cards. i understand it it is on the organizer to order the play mats is, now yeah. they they do have to pay for them they have to buy them um, but they order them from Pokemon, and I'm sure it is at some – I don't know how much they cost per mat. I'm sure it is at a reduced cost to what you would imagine, like, usually a playmat. I, like, I think if you sell a playmat in a store, uh, it, $20 is probably, like, the price that you would see most of the time. I can't imagine they're paying $20 per playmat to, to get no, these No, no way. No shot, right? Um, maybe five, maybe less. Who? I, I don't want to put a number on it because I don't know. But yeah. uh, it is up to the TO to order a certain number of things. And I understand not wanting to order more, but ordering less 
is unacceptable to me, honestly. <laughs> um, I think you have to order with the mindset of, I've got this many spots. I need to make sure I have this many things. And honestly, swag pickup and check-in should just be the same location. When you yeah. check in for the tournament, you should be given your swag. That is the easiest solution uh, because then you're knocking out – you're having to use half of the amount of staff, right, because you're having half of them check you in and half of them do – or you're, you're having like, you know, 10 people do check-in, 10 people do swag pickup. Now you can just have 10 people do both of the things in one location or 15 people do both of the things in one location maybe, right? Yeah. Um. So – it would just make so much sense to me. I understand that on their website, it does have the clause of uh, products listed above are available while supplies last. And sure, that legally, I guess, excludes them from the fact that they did not provide the the, the playmat and promo to every single person because they ran out. But they shouldn't have run out. It's not – they need to make sure that there is enough ordered to at least – uh, supply the majority of the players and it may still have been a majority but it and I don't think this is the first time as well that a playmat for the event has um, it happens often yeah that, that, that they've run out of the playmats before like th this is, is is not uncommon and I think most people who didn't get the Giratina playmat got the choice to get either a hat or another older playmat which, you know, I think is an acceptable solution in the instance of running out of stuff. But to me, the real inexcusable thing is the Ultra Pro issue because people think they're getting this $20 rebate when they register, and they're not. And also, this, and I can't put the entirety of the blame on Overload for this. I have to imagine there was some miscommunication somewhere along the way between the organizer and Ultra Pro. Now, as to whose fault it was and where, we are unsure. I will say Overload did release a statement this evening uh, after this, you know, kind of big response and, um, you know, issue brought to their attention by everyone. And I'll just read their post on Twitter here. They wrote, good evening, everyone. We are uh, settling in from a long and wonderful weekend. We are aware that this weekend had its hiccups. And I think that's fair. Every event is going to have some hiccups somewhere along the way, right? Uh, as for the Ultra Pro coupons, we were told we would receive $20 off coupons with time constraints of planning a major, uh, planning a majority of this event uh, in four weeks. We had the coupons shipped directly to the venue. We were made aware of the mistake around noon on Friday and are currently trying to resolve the issue. We know this isn't perfect, but hopefully we will have information soon. Thank you for your patience. So and they did respond pretty quickly, you know, responding on Monday yeah. to to the issue. I think, you know, that's good on them. I think that's all anyone can really ask for at this point. Um, I would say I, I hope people don't feel like overload is like trying to pull one over on the community. I don't think that is the case, um, but promising one thing and delivering another without any, um, you know, ram or, you know, resolution is not acceptable in my mind. Yeah, it definitely feels bad. I think the whole combination of it feels pretty bad. I think giving out swag, and you know when they're giving out swag at the beginning of it, that means they have enough swag for everyone. Like I said, like it feels like these kind of those kind of things when you have six hundred player to thousand player tournaments, like you should just end up with extra swag at the end of it all. That shouldn't be like a thing that happens. Um, and now with this one, like it was kind of the same thing that happened with registration last last season. Was it like that first event happened? And it's like oh wait, registration just filled up immediately. That's happening. And then it was kind of a catalyst to 
every event after that registration fills up super fast, right? Yeah. It's gonna the same thing's gonna happen with swag pickup now. So if there was like let's say, I don't know, seventeen percent of people didn't pick up swag at events before, now it's only gonna be ten percent, right? I'm gonna go get my swag immediately, knowing that if there's a possibility I'm not gonna get my swag if I don't go to the swag desk immediately to get my swag. I'm gonna go as soon as I enter the hall, right? And I'm sure a lot of people are gonna do the exact same thing, right? Yeah. So it would just be best if you yeah, if you just get your swag, if you just get your swag as you go into the venue. It makes the most sense. They should order enough swag for everyone. Um, there was one uh, tweet that I wanted to uh, Dana, uh, Dana uh, Perot tweeted, um, which I think is like a pretty reasonable solution as well. I'd say sell entries at regular price until you hit your swag count, then discount registration to reflect a no swag entry. Players are informed up front. They will not receive swag and are com- compensated for the lack of it. I think that is also a reasonable solution like if you order a thousand play mats and a thousand uh promos promos, then once you hit a thousand and one people they just if they want to play in the tournament they're aware they they're paying less and they don't get the swag right i think that's actually like a reasonable uh a reasonable solution as well i think the the best solution is to make it as uncomplicated as possible is just order enough swag and then uh yeah give it to people as they you know come through for registration because uh, it's going to be getting close to 100% of people now because of this one this one kind of uh, backlash or the one kind of uh, hiccup, I guess, whatever you want to call it, at this tournament. Because of the hiccup at this tournament, um, there's going to be, everyone is going to be making, everyone's gonna, more people are going to be trying to make sure they get their swag, right? Especially knowing that they might not be able to get, even if you're someone who always eventually got your swag on Sunday, um, a lot of people are just going to be going on, on Saturday now because they don't want to not be able to get the mat or get the colors promo. Or even, could you get swag on Friday? I don't even know. What to, I never, I've never gone on Friday to get my swag. You, you, go you, on can't, the, you could have, yes, I believe. Okay, so I, um, people are going to be going on Friday now too. Like everyone's going to be going, trying to go there as soon as possible because there's one hiccup. It's just going to lead to kind of like a, a catalyst of where people are going to be more aggressive about doing it. Same thing with registration. Uh, registration's filling up last season. And sadly, this was really not the only issue at the event. It's definitely the main thing that most people are talking about, but there was definitely um, plenty of delays that happened throughout the event. Now, um, we're not scheduled. We, we don't stream the first couple of rounds of regionals usually, which is not my decision, but that is, you know, it's just what it is. It's how it is yep. and probably how it's going to be, to be honest. Um, so I'm not always there first thing in the morning for, for round one to start. Um, but from what I understand, what I saw on Twitter, uh, the tournament was meant to start at eight 30 and did not get going until nine 15. Now I'd say some yeah. reasonable, like some delays are, are like expected, right? There's a lot of people at these tournaments. It's a lot to juggle. Um, I will also say we should have maybe mentioned this earlier on, um, Christine, who is like the tournament organizer here from overload events, um, she's also the organizer for Dallas regionals in the past. And I think for Azul and I both, the last several Dallas regionals have been some of the best run tournaments that we've been to. So she, she has a track record of running a really tight ship and running a really good regional championships. Now she did not run any regionals last year, ran Dallas in 2020 and had nothing since then. So I don't know if this was maybe a getting back into the swing of things type of event. I would imagine that has something to do with it. Or if there's just, you know, there's just so many things, <laughs> so many things yeah. that can possibly go wrong and slow things down at these events. You're having to coordinate with so many different teams of people. Um, so it's, I think, understandable for there to be some delays. 
but it wasn't just the start of the day. It seemed like between rounds, things started getting slow. We were always waiting between rounds for the next round to go up. Uh, definitely longer delays than normal. And it feels like most regionals these days end at or before 9 p.m. Eastern time, or like, I guess not Eastern time, local time, I should say, end at 9 p.m. This tournament's round nine did not conclude until 10.30. Yeah, it was uh, it was kind of unfortunate. That's what, so we're almost getting back to the old days of like ending. I remember Philly regionals. We were in the, we got kicked out of the main hall and they had to like announce the final standings outside the I main hall. I remember that. Yeah, oh it was gosh. like 1 a.m. or something. Yeah. It was like it was, 12 it was or 1 a.m. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everyone was kicked out of the main hall. We were outside of the main hall in like the, I don't know, what you, lobby-ish area, whatever you want to call it. It wasn't the lobby, but it was top of the escalators, hallway the area. Someone was standing up on a table with the final standing or the final standings and they were calling out names of who made cut. I think because that's back when it wasn't 621 made cut. It was like top 32 made cut. So um it was just <laughs> hopefully we don't slip too far back now i think maybe the delay was the venue was just the hall we were in was just it was bad to be honest you had to go down to two escalators single file the main and that's why probably why it was delayed you're trying to get 1200 people or more into that room into the hall single file right it was only going down one there was one escalator you could go down um and people saw a ton of people had to check in um i had to check in on saturday um so and there was a single file down one escalator to get into the hall once you get your wristband so i think it was just i think it was just delayed that that was probably the reason it was delayed it didn't seem like a lot of people checked in on friday i usually try and check in on friday but i, I got in late uh, on this one so i think that was maybe the reason for the initial delay but yeah then the rounds were taken just taking a while in between the rounds to be honest and i didn't really notice the initial delay and i didn't notice much of, I was playing MewTV Union, so all my rounds went to time. So I didn't notice much of the delays because it felt normal. It felt like a normal amount of time in between rounds because that's because I usually finish some of my rounds really early. And then I have like sometimes I'm sitting there for like 40 minutes before the next round goes up. Right. Um, but this time it was still only 10 or 20 minutes each time. But that's when I was going to time every single round. So there definitely was quite a bit of quite a bit of time in between rounds and quite a bit of time to get that first round going. And also, like I said, it, it was like it was to get down there it was like two it was like one set of stairs for two escalators one set of stairs for two escalators one up one down so to get down to the hall was weird it was kind of cramped uh like there wasn't a lot of like ways to get down there and also in the hall itself it was fine size but it was down two slides two flights of stairs really like in the basement hall or whatever you want to call it it was just hot man it was just hot in there it was it not was very hot especially sitting behind great. a desk with a jacket <laughs> on with a bunch of really bright lights shining on you it was very very hot yep. and you mentioned as he well should... whenever you went up on the stage right for your stream oh match, yeah <laughs> it got really hot up there right you should never run a, a tournament in that venue if they're going to be in that hall i don't know if there was another hall big enough there were definitely other halls at the venue they should not ever run a regional championship in that venue if it's going to be in that hall if it's a hall not in the basement with better ventilation go for it but not that one yeah, definitely fair share of, of issues with the logistics there. And it ended up getting the stream to be delayed a little bit as well. Our plan was to what we've done at the last several regionals. And the, the schedule does get adjusted on the fly as it needs to for the stream uh, with what's happening in the tournament most of the time. Um, 
but we were supposed to start with round four and we were going to stream two round four matches because that's when the lunch break was going to be. And that's normally what mm. we've done, right? We, we pull one round four match uh, and stream it with everyone else playing round four. And then we have another round four match. We tell those players to go get their lunch. They come back. And then as soon as the first round four match is done, we put the second one on, get them ready to go. And then they play while everyone else in the tournament is having lunch break. And then we just keep going with round five. So that, that's that's kind of what the process has been for the last several regionals this season. However, for this tournament, because things started getting delayed, we were like, okay, well, we are going to have to probably just start with round three. And we're going to start with round three during the players' lunch break. Um, so we picked a round three match, sent them to go eat during the round, and then brought them back uh, before the round had even ended totally. And... They sat, played, did their game, and then eventually round four goes up. And, you know, everything's going along there, but, you know, a couple delays, things start happening, and it gets later in the evening, and it becomes evident about halfway through the stream, we are not going to be able to stream round nine of the event, because there's a time set in place, uh, a, a cutoff of when they need to be done. Um, there's a lot of different factors there. I don't make any of those decisions, and I don't even know the details behind many of those decisions. I just show up and talk when they tell me to. That is the extent of my role <laughs> for the most part, um, and provide feedback. That is the extent of what I do is I, I show up, I talk, and then I provide feedback to the production team where I can. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a big bummer. We didn't get to see the winning in round, round nine. And those are the most exciting moments to me on the stream. Yeah. People who are playing their winning in today too. They're winning into top cut. Um, cause that's when the most is on the line and we just didn't get to see it. Yeah, it definitely sucks. Definitely want to try and shoot as much as possible. And there was such a good track record of it for the last couple of events doing that lunch break round. Yes. Um, it's been a good system like... for the last several regionals without a doubt. Yeah. So that's kind of unfortunate. And so, yeah. Not the smoothest event, I think, for sure. Um, um, and then there was some other uh, other stuff that went down that made it a not so smooth event as well. Um, and one of the things we wanted, I guess, we wanted to touch on a little bit was there was a couple gameplay errors on stream, right? Um, so of course, the the first line of uh, <laughs> line of defense to prevent from gameplay errors is the players themselves, right? It is uh, ultimately on the player. Right? Yeah, of course, right? And generally, uh, there's not a judge per match at a Pokemon tournament, right? But on stream, there is at least one judge for each stream match, sometimes two. Um, and day one, they only did have one judge for the stream. Uh, day two, I think they did have two. So there's a second line of defense consistently for any match that is on the stream. And there's even a third and fourth line of defense being the crowd and the casters. Um, so there's a lot, uh, a lot of eyes on it. Of course, you don't want to like the crowd and the casters should never be really put in the position to be the ones to intervene in a game, right? Um, if they can catch something and get it, get the, you know, get it across in time, that's great, but it's not going to be like, it's not on them. Right. And a lot of people, there's been, there's always consistently been a lot of talk about judges in Pokemon, right? Are they doing enough? Um, the one thing I always hear is like, we need better judges. But like, I don't think people understand. The judges in Pokemon are volunteering. So how are you going to find <laughs> new people to volunteer at a Pokemon competition event? Like, wh where are you finding these people? The people who want better judges, where are you finding? Now, I think if the judges were being compensated in a way that made it more reasonable for them to be spending their time judging i think they could be held to a higher standard but i think for a way the way judges are currently compensated to 
volunteer to judge at Pokemon tournaments. I think it's this is what we have, and I think this is just kind of fun. You can't put really put anything on the judges. I think for the current system that's out there, would this would I like this system to be better? Yes, but it's not. It's what we currently have. The only thing you can really do is put your best judges, uh, you know, on the stream matches, right? That's the only thing you could theoretically do, right? Yeah, and I understand the idea of not wanting to put the best judges, especially in day one, on your stream matches because that means their attention has to be focused entirely on one match. Whereas if they're out in the field, they're able to keep their eye on dozens of matches, theoretically, yeah. and can or answer assist with questions any ruling. from dozens of players, theoretically, because there's lots, you yeah. know, plenty of judge calls that happen every single round. They can run over and resolve things very quickly. And I also don't want to be too harsh on the people who were on on stream as the judges i do think there were several people who it was their first time being a judge on stream i don't think it was their first time being a judge at all but first time like on the actual stream which does add another element they're having you know the headset on they're having to deal with the discord uh to like communicate and stuff like that with the production team so there's all kinds of elements going on um yeah. And I understand what you're saying, Azul, about like, I mean, they definitely are not paid adequately for, they, they are volunteering, right? So they're not yeah, like paid so anything realistically. They're, they're coming away from the weekend with a couple booster boxes usually as their compensation and a staff promo, staff playmat maybe, um, as their compensation for, for their work. I do think, however, whenever they have so much authority over the players right whenever they can make rulings that affect the game um now this is not about anything that happened or anything but i do think like when you have that authority there is some standard that certainly needs to be held yeah i think that is fair and maybe and but that's maybe that's what happens right they do like they they don't do a good job on the stream it's like okay you're not gonna be able to become a stream you're not gonna be able to do the stream judge job again you know for a couple events or and a couple every, rap, even a couple the best events, stream right? like, judges even the people who do it regularly for us that i see up there all the time uh they had to do it the first time at some point right yeah exactly yeah so everyone has to have their first initial chance to to do it um and yeah there's gonna be say even even if you took the top two judges in the game and put them up there and there usually is two stream judges something could still happen right um so it's never going to be perfect uh we all want it to be better i think it's unfair to together yeah, the, the thing i always say is we need judges to be better or better judges like that's just not a thing unless you're going to make a bunch of people appear no one like there's not enough people competing to judge at pokemon events i don't think to make that statement it's just not a statement that is fair to make because I don't think there's that many people competing to be judges at these these regionals. I think judges, there is that many judges competing to be judges at international championships and at worlds. But that's a different discussion, right? Um, and I feel like we do actually see these issues come up less at the bigger tournaments. And yes. that is because generally the majority of the judges are of a higher quality, right? They're taking the best judges from around the world, putting them all together for the international events and the world championships, right? So you're going to end up with a higher quality judge across the board. But... For the regionals, there's not it's not there's not five hundred people trying to fill a hundred play a hundred positions, right? It's just not a thing. So there were three issues that came up on the stream, as far as I remember, as far as judge calls that were potentially missed where things could have been prevented. Once again, ultimately these things come down to the player. It is up to the player to keep the game state. First and foremost, the judge is just there to kind of also be another layer to that another line of defense as you said um 
So three issues. One of them was Grant Shin playing a double supporter in a turn. Um, they were playing Mew VMAX. Turns go really long. The supporter was a double tails on Silene, so it's easy to think back on your turn and be like, I've done nothing this turn because you flip double tails <laughs> on your Silene. So, yeah, I can totally play this boss. Didn't happen. Um, and I, also, before we go any further, I do want to disclaimer throw out there, I am not in any way uh, trying to claim that anyone did or did not cheat, did or did not make a gameplay error. I mean, they did make, at minimum, a gameplay yeah. error, right? Um, but there is, and I see this in the chat all the time, there is a difference between cheating and making a gameplay error. Cheating comes with intent. It is very difficult, if not impossible, to prove intent. Uh, definitely impossible in any of these scenarios that we're going to be talking about today, the three things that happen. So the first issue was with uh, – or one of the issues was with Grant Shin. Another one in day two was uh, actually in top eight was with Jeremy uh, Gamilla who attached two energies in the turn. Once again, Mu Max long turns. Uh, attach before supporter, play supporter, fusion strike system, fusion strike system. Have I attached? I don't think so. Boom. Attach, knockout. It was like one of those type of things. Yeah. Um and then the third and final issue, which was actually the first one that came up on the stream, was and definitely the one that has had the most discussion, without a doubt, because of the caliber of players uh, involved in this instance, was Isaiah Bradner versus Xander Perot in round number four, where Isaiah seemingly, and not seemingly, he did take two item cards off of Irida. Now, Irida, of course, the supporter card, we've seen it plenty of times from these Mew, or sorry, from these <laughs> uh, Palkia decks uh, to grab a water Pokemon and an item card from your deck. The situation here, three and a half minutes left. Isaiah's trying to play quickly to make sure that this game can finish because they are tied one-to-one -one in the set. Isaiah's definitely in the better position, so he wants this game to finish. He wants to come away with a win here. He plays his Drizzile. He goes into the deck, grabs Irida, and grabs two item cards out of the deck with it. And then Xander catches it. And I was actually casting this match, and I noticed it as well. And I said, uh, he can't do that. He can't do that. This is a mistake that could happen, you know, because your Irida is going to get a Drizzile, which is going to get you another item anyway. So he's like maybe just skipping one step ahead in his process, right? So yeah. it's it's a reasonable mistake to have made. Um, Xander said, wait a second, you got two item cards. What's up with that? And this is really where the issue comes in because Isaiah, or Xander, yeah, Isaiah puts the two item cards in hand. Xander stops him and then... Isaiah shows, no, I got a Palkia V-Star and an item card. And that, to me, is where a lot of questioning has come in to this because Isaiah is claiming he got two cards that he did not get off of his ear. After getting, yeah, after getting two cards, he couldn't get. <laughs> yes, after getting two cards, he couldn't get. And his opponent stopped and questioned him about it. Yeah, yeah, of course. Now, I will say I think it is very unlikely that this was intentional and cheating from Isaiah um, because people who cheat are generally pretty smart about cheating, and cheating on stream just seems so dumb. But <laughs> it is, once again, it is impossible to prove intent, um, and you never know when someone could be trying to get away with something or whatever. 
Uh, and I will say this is not too dissimilar from a situation that we talked about on the podcast in the last season where a player in a Brazilian regionals um, was counting out their cards from Malamar for Rapid Strike Tentacles, dealing 40 damage for each Rapid Strike card, and tried to hide a Drizzile in there as a Rapid Strike Pokemon. It's really yeah. not that dissimilar from this situation where it's like quick flashes of cards, boom, 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 we're flying, we're going through things. That player got disqualified from that tournament in Brazil. And once again, it is impossible... It's very hard, if not impossible, to prove intent here. I don't think it would have been unreasonable for Isaiah to have been disqualified from the event for this. I do think a penalty was issued going into the next round after it got caught. Um, and once again, I'm not saying one way or the other whether I think they are cheating. But, I mean, if if we're talking about consistency across events, obviously these events took place with two different, uh, two different regions of the world, two different tournament organizers, two different head judges, judges making yeah. those decisions. So the consistency there is going to be a little questionable. I think, obviously, things got assessed and looked at. Isaiah was given an, a penalty going into the next round, but I don't think a disqualification would have been an unreasonable result. Yeah, I, I think I agree. And this game finished, right? They didn't try and resolve it. No, it, it. did. Like it the, did come out as a tie. Yeah. Okay. Like the yeah, the match finished before. Yes. Yeah. Okay. They didn't. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think. Yeah, I agree. I think. I think whether whether Brian did it on, did it on purpose or not, they obviously don't think Brian did it on purpose because if they thought that, definitely would have been DQ'd, even yeah. possibly banned, right? Well, um, will they? But, <laughs> People that's aren't getting true. banned Def these days. So. Definitely would. I think. I think if they thought, <laughs> that's true. I think probably would have been DQ'd. But I think just on the principle of the situation, especially when you compare it, and I think this is something we can look at comparing it to something like uh, Jeremy's situation or Grant Shen's. This one is a lot harder to recognize as a kind of, and it's kind of like, well, what can you say is a normal mistake in Pokemon? Well, it would be something that comes up more consistently and seems to not be a mistake created by malicious intent, like double attach, like double supporter. Those things happen all the time and are mistakes all the time. Sure, I'm sure someone has double supported out there or double attach out there maliciously, right? Yes, that has happened, sure. But it doesn't happen as much as it happens by mistake, right? But this thing with Isaiah, so many more things happened, and there was seemingly uh, a possibility for Bradner to have uh, attempted to deceive Xander and the judges when he showed the Palkia and the item card, right? If if, Xander, if Bradner had just been like, I took Quick Ball Cross Switcher, Xander would have been like, you can't do that. And Bradner would have been like, oh, you're right. <laughs> and then they probably would have been able to resolve it with zero penalties or zero questions about anything. But because of showing the Palkia and the Cross Switcher, I think that is enough right there to be like, listen, Bradner, we don't think you cheated. That The judge could even be like, we don't think you cheated. But based on the principle of the of the thing and and what actually happened, we do have to disqualify you, qualify you from this tournament. Yeah. Um, and and I don't even I don't think that would leave from a ban there afterwards, anyways. But I do actually think like having seen it, thought thought about it myself personally, I think this definitely probably should have resulted in a disqualification for Banner because of what we've seen leading to disqualifications in past tournaments. Yeah, this is not like I mentioned dissimilar from the Rapid Strike Tentacles instance. That player got disqualified. I think consistency is only fair in these type of situations, right? And it is very similar to that one. Um, so, and, and this is something I noticed because I was casting this game 
I'm instantly noticed. Yeah, you can't take two item cards with Irida. Uh, but then whenever Xander questioned it and Isaiah showed the Palkia and the cross switcher, like just in the, like I, I'm not rewinding the thing to watch it back. Right. I'm watching the game as it plays out, trying to talk yeah. about it. Um, it made me question myself. It made me question, <laughs> did I miss something like did, Cause like the players are usually the ones who are the most into what's happening. I was like, did I miss yeah. a drizzle? Maybe he played an evolution incense in there, uh, and was doing things all together. So it made me question it, and that's why maybe it didn't get as as escalated as quickly as it could have. Um, but you know, it's on the players. Xander did catch it, got, but it didn't get escalated past that point. Maybe the judge should have noticed as well. Um, you know, it is what it is. Unfortunate that it happened, uh, but here we are. You know, here we are. Yeah, just unfortunate. Um... I mean, I think overall, like the the number one thing to always like remind yourself as any player of any skill level, just try and uh, you know take your time, make sure what you're doing is uh, you're not only trying to <laughs> you're not only trying to make the best play you can make on your turn, but actually make a play you're legally allowed to make on your turn, right? Yeah. Because uh, even if you don't mean to do it, it still can happen, and it will happen, right? That's another thing. It's probably going to happen. I'll probably mess up at some point. Um, you're going to mess up at some point. Well, not you, but you know the viewers out there. Um, but you know, try and you know play as a uh as a what I mean, as fair as you can don't don't make the mistakes don't double support it don't double attach uh don't irida for two item cards you know just try and uh make sure you're take, doing the actions as you should yeah <laughs> and with all those things being said i think that will do it for our episode this week another long one but we really do appreciate everyone sticking with us and thanks as always for all the support and if you do enjoy the cast please be sure to leave a rating it's free it's fast and it is the easiest way to show your support you can also subscribe to us over here on the youtube channel and leave a like on the video if you do enjoy it and if you want to stay connected with us the best way to do that is on social media on twitter you can find myself at trainer chip azul is at azul underscore gg you can also follow the podcast at uncommon underscore energy. Yeah, appreciate the support as always, everyone. Peoria um, <clears throat> Regional is coming up in a couple weeks, so we'll be seeing what Lost Origins can do Lost soon. Origin. I'm super excited. Lost Origin can do soon. I'm super excited for that. And we'll be coming at you with a new episode next Tuesday at 7 a.m. Eastern. Catch you all next week. Peace. <laughs>